Well, good morning, Christ Pres. It's good to be with you this morning, and it's an honor and privilege to be able to stand before you and to walk through God's word with you. And as Brad just said, my name is Eric Attiligo, Um, and I just want to say before we dive into things, just thank you so much for uh, helping my wife and I and our family get settled here to the area. Um, all of you have been so welcoming, and, um, and thank you also for being patient as we're learning names and meeting people um, and, you know, connecting dots and, and whatnot. So, so thank you so much. We're so glad to be here. Um, Sarah and I can, uh, are just, have just been really thankful to, to be here at Christ Prez. And so our scripture this morning uh, comes to us from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so if you would, um, go ahead and turn there. This is God's word. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, and, and he being Jesus, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was recorded, reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And as they came, bring to him a paralytic And as they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let us come to the Lord and ask for his help as we approach his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word and not leaving us in the dark. By your Holy Spirit, would you point us to our desperate need for Christ and work in our hearts to transform us to become more like him. Help us as We approach your word to bring our anxieties, our worries, our burdens, our distractions, and would we lay them at your feet. And help our hearts to be still this morning, Father. Would the beauty of Jesus be on full display and would the gospel be proclaimed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning I'm going to ask you a question. How is your heart this morning? How's your heart this morning? I want you to stop, and I want you to think about this question. And if you're like me, this question can be a really frustrating question, right? Because when someone asks you, how are you doing, it's really easy to just say, well, I'm fine, right? We do this almost every morning when someone asks us how we're doing, we just say, we're fine. But when someone asks you, right, how is your heart? There's a lot of reflection, a lot to dig through, a lot to go through. And here's the thing. Jesus 
is the master asking us questions and saying things that reveal where our hearts are at. And we see that particularly in this passage this morning. And so let me begin by, by setting the scene just to help us have some context around what's happening here in this passage. And so here, Jesus is at this house in Capernaum, right, where he's returned after having traveled around Galilee, and we find him preaching to a packed house, right? And as we see back in chapter 1, Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming these words. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so he was announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God throughout the region of Galilee, and Jesus was doing amazing things. He was casting out demons, he was performing miracles, healing people with all sorts of diseases. So, so it's understandable that at this point, Jesus' popularity is growing. And again, we see that this is a, a packed house. I mean, just imagine a one-story house packed with, with 50-plus people there. And we're told that there's not even any room around the door. I mean, people are clamoring, trying to hear Jesus preach, right? Word has spread about him. And we see this. We see that, uh, that this turning point in his ministry where, where he, he's gaining popularity when uh, he heals a leper and Jesus charges him. He says, he says don't say anything about this, but, but go. You know, he says, don't say anything about this, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the cleansing or you're cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. And then it goes on to say, but then he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could go no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so we see that, that Jesus is, is bringing this expectation that everywhere he goes, that something amazing is going to happen or that he's going to say something really profound, Right? And so there, there's just this, this really crazy energy here. And I really uh, enjoy watching um, ESPN 30 for 30, if you all know uh, what that documentary series is. And they did one on Bo Jackson. Do you all know? How, how many people here know who Bo Jackson is? Raise your hand. All right, good bit. Okay, so um, this uh, documentary series is called You Don't Know Bo. And it's a play on the ad campaign that Nike, uh, that Nike did called uh, uh, Bo Knows. And it was claiming that Bo knew every sport. And this was a really genius uh, marketing campaign because Bo Jackson was a phenomenal athlete. If you don't know who he is, he was a, a, a phen uh, phenom in both football and in baseball, and he went pro in both of those sports, right? And he probably could have done really well in other sports, but those were the two sports he chose to focus on. And I wasn't born yet at this time, but the images that, that I saw of, of Bo Jackson doing things like uh, running up the outfield wall, like after catching like the baseball, um, or doing things like snapping a bat on his head after he struck out. I mean, just like these really crazy things that, that Bo Jackson did. And so there was this, always this energy that, that came with every time Bo Jackson stepped onto the field, people tuned in because there was a sense that something amazing was going to happen and you never knew what it was going to be. And this same energy is here, this expectation that 
wherever Jesus was going to go, something amazing was going to happen. And something does. Something amazing does happen. As Jesus is preaching, four men carry their friend who's paralytic. He cannot walk. And, and they, they, they come and find that there is no room at this house. They can't bring their friend into the house. And rather than just being content with, oh, well, we, we gave it a good try, right? We gave it the good old college try. They, they do something that I think a lot of engineers would be really proud of, is they get up on the roof, and they start digging away at the roof, and then, like, they lower their friend down into the house as Jesus is preaching. And I just want you to imagine what that would be like, and if, imagine that happening here this morning, that, like, as I'm talking, the roof, there's an opening all of a sudden in the roof, and debris falls down, and then a man just, like, is lowered down. I don't know why that would happen with me, um, but, but just imagine what that, what that would be like. And imagine, at, at this point, thinking, what is Jesus going to do? What is he going to say? Now, consider everything that Jesus has already done up to this point. He's performed miracles and he's healed. And so it's understandable that at this point, we're thinking, well, he's going to heal this man, right? But Jesus does something else. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this point, we're told that there were scribes that came to see who Jesus was that they were part of this crowd. And scribes are, these are men who are highly educated for the purpose of reading and copying the Hebrew scripture. In other words, they they know the Old Testament super well, right? And so we're told that they begin questioning in their hearts as Jesus says this. And in other words, that they're reasoning to themselves, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. And then they ask the million-dollar question, who can forgive sins but God alone? And again, they're not saying these things out loud, but Jesus perceived what they were thinking. He knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And then here's what Jesus does. He goes after their hearts. And this is what he says. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Now imagine what that must have been like, right? The man gets up, and he walks. And Capernaum is is probably not a super big town, People know people, especially if you're struck with something like paralysis and you're known as a person who's carried by his friends everywhere. And to see this man who his whole life could not walk, all of a sudden stand up and walk, and not only just walk, but also have enough strength to carry his bed as well, this would have been an amazing thing to see, as you can imagine. And so it says that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So what can we take away from from this this morning? It's that Jesus, ultimately, 
is after our hearts. Jesus is after our hearts. And we see how he does this. We see this in how he addresses both the paralytic. He's after the heart of the paralytic. He's also after the hearts of the scribes. And so first, let's look at how he's after the heart of the paralytic. Again, Jesus' friends, or sorry, the the paralytic's friends just went through all this trouble to bring their friend to, to this house that Jesus is preaching at. They remove the roof, lower him down. And you, you can imagine what their hope is, right? Their pur- the purpose for them bringing their, their friend to Jesus is so that he could be healed. And that seems pretty obvious to us and, and also obvious to everybody in the room. And again, what does Jesus say? Son, your sins are forgiven. What? Why, why is Jesus saying this? Why doesn't Jesus heal the man? He's done it before. So why is he saying, son, your sins are forgiven? And that's because what Jesus is doing it here is that he's challenging the notion that our circumstances are our main problem. And he's pointing to something that's so much deeper, an underlying issue, the root of our problems. And that is that we need our sins forgiven. And what we have trouble seeing is that the the man's paralysis is a symptom of sin. And rather than just dealing with symptoms, Jesus addresses the true problem. And one way we can think about this is, is how we use cold medicine. Because cold medicine really just helps alleviate symptoms, right? When we take cold medicine, we're not we're not actually hoping that it heals like our cold, but it allows us to get through the time where, we, where our body is working to fight against the virus and allows things to play out. And it, it just helps us deal with things like runny noses, coughs, sleeping through the night, right? But, but in, really, it's not actually getting at the main issue. And if you want to take it a step further, just imagine if you're stricken with a disease. You wouldn't be content with a doctor just saying, we're just going to deal with the symptoms. You would want them to go straight at the problem. You'd want to address the problem head on and not just say, well, we're just going to go and and address the surface level symptoms here. And so, by saying, your son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus is saying, I'm not only going to alleviate your symptom, of the symptom of sin in your life, I'm going to address your sin with forgiveness. And let me just be clear about this. This isn't to say that, that the man was afflicted with paralysis because of a moral decision that he made, but because, really it's because of the, what we know about the four-part story of the Bible, right? That we were created and that when, when God created everything, including us, everything was good, and that, that our, we, our bodies were perfect, and, and as, we, as Adam and Eve rebelled, that sin was brought into the world, and now here's what we experience. We age, we experience sickness and disease, our bodies don't work the way they're supposed to, right? And so, Jesus is, is addressing the root of the problem here, that he is forgiving this man's sin. 
And by forgiving this man's sin, Jesus really is ultimately giving this man a hope that is beyond this life. Jesus is giving this man a hope that is beyond this life. That one day, this man will stand before God with his sins forgiven and in a glorious body that is untainted by sin. One that is perfectly healed. And see, this hope that Jesus gives to the paralytic man is the same hope that allows Paul to write this to Timothy. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might, Christ might display his perfect patience to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, this is the hope. This is the kind of hope that allows the apostles, Christians throughout history, to endure horrible circumstances. Circumstances that were a result of their faith. Right? And this is the hope that a lot of Christians step out in faith and proclaim the gospel no matter the cost. And so let me ask you again, how is your heart this morning? If you look at your heart, is it set on only changing your circumstances? Is the reverberating phrase in your heart this morning, if, if only, if only, if only I had a better job? If only I made more money, if only I had a better house, if only I could get married, if only I could get the iPhone 13, if only I could be popular, if only I could be healed, if only this thing would happen in my life, things would be so much better. And the list goes on and on as to what those things could be. And let me just say this. This is not to say that it is wrong to pray for these things, that these things are not evil in and of themselves, and, or that Jesus doesn't care about these things. But when your hope is set on these things and not on the hope that Jesus forgives and offer, or that Jesus gives an offering forgiveness of sins, then really what you're only doing is addressing and trying to get at the symptoms and not to the true problem. If all you're asking of Jesus is to change your circumstances and not to change your heart, then you're asking too little of Jesus because circumstances are only temporary, but divine forgiveness is, is eternal. And so Jesus has come to save us from something far greater than our circumstances. He's come to save us from ourselves. And so with that, at this point, let, let's turn our attention to the scribes and how they react to what Jesus says by saying, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's look at verses 6 and 7, and, and this is how they react. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So it's obvious at this point that Jesus has struck a nerve, 
right? Here are the scribes. They've come to, to investigate, to see this, this man who's been teaching, preaching, and saying things like the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so they're, they're coming to see who, who is this man that keeps saying these things. And so he says something that they're not quite comfortable with, right? So what is it that they're wrestling with in their hearts? It's whether or not Jesus has the, has the authority to be able to forgive sins. And why? Because only God can forgive sins. Only God can offer this forgiveness. They know the Hebrew scripture so well. And so alarm bells are going off in their head. And so verses like Isaiah 43, 25 are coming to mind where, it said, where the Lord says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. And see, though they were saying these things in their hearts and not saying them out loud, Jesus knows what's going on in their hearts. Jesus knows what they're thinking. And then he starts to ask some diagnostic questions. He says, why do you question these things in your hearts? What is, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that they were amazed, glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And so let's, let's, let's pause on this question that Jesus is asking, because it's a very puzzling one. And Dr. Timothy Keller has this to say about this question. He says, on, for, on the first reading, Jesus seems to be saying, anybody who can say your sins are forgiven, but not, anybody, not everybody can heal. To show you, therefore, that I am the Lord with authority to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your mat and walk. And so the apparent implication is that it's a lot harder to heal somebody than to forgive somebody. And, when he is and he is signaling his power to do the latter by performing the former. But this is such a profoundly puzzling question because it has more than one answer. Jesus is also saying, my friends, it is going to be infinitely harder to affect the forgiveness of sins than you can imagine. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm the Savior. Any miracle worker can say, take up your mat and walk, but only the Savior of the world can say to a human being, all your sins are forgiven. See, in other words, Jesus healing the paralytic is a, is a physical picture of the spiritual reality. That we are spiritually paralyzed, and by telling us our sins are forgiven, that we are, we are healed. That we are healed. But it would take more than speaking words to heal our hearts. It would take a payment for our spiritual debt. See, as the scribes are thinking words of, of verses like Isaiah 43, 25, talking about how the Lord is the only one who can forgive sins, Jesus is pointing to Isaiah 53, and he's saying, where it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, by doing this, by pointing to this, Jesus pointing to what he is going to do. And see, the, the greater display of Jesus' authority 
is to to forgive sins by laying down his life, by being executed on the cross, and by being raised back up through his resurrection. Because as amazing as all these miracles are, the healings, the casting out demons, Jesus' resurrection is the display over is the power or is the power is displays his power over sin and death. And this king who heals our souls will one day heal our bodies too. I don't know how how many of you have read The Lord of the Rings, right? Perchance. Okay? How many of you at least watched the movies? Okay. Sarah and I, we loved Lord of the Rings. We had, uh, we were really lucky. We, they, they offered a course on C.S. Lewis and Tolkien in college uh, where we went. And um, we actually got to read at like for class Lord of the Rings, which was a lot of fun. Um, but in, in Tolkien's Return of the King, which is the third installment in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, there's this main city, this huge, great city called Minas Tirith, and it's the main city of the kingdom of Gondor. Um, and it has ju- just endured a great siege by like the enemy forces, by the villains, uh, by Sauron's armies. And Aragorn, the true heir of Gondor, returns to his throne after being away from the kingdom. And it's really interesting because he, he is the returning king, hence the name of the book, Return of the King. And the first thing he does as he comes into the city is he goes around and he cares and tends to the wounds of the people. And it's so beautifully depicted in the movies, at least if you're watching the extended version. And so... You see Aragorn, he's coming as this king, but yet he's taking time to tend to and care for the people of his kingdom. And this is so beautiful because when you stop to think about how this is a reflection of Jesus and what he's done by coming into the world, that the first thing he does is that he comes and cares and tends for our bodies and our souls. This is a picture of our king, King Jesus. And he has authority to do these things. And so as Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, he was proclaiming himself as the king. But as he did so, he cared for the people who were wounded, both in body and soul. And so where is your heart today? Are you you settling for Jesus to only deal with the symptom of sin in your life? Or are you asking him to come in and and actually deal with your heart? Or are you like the scribes, questioning whether or not Jesus has complete authority to offer divine forgiveness of your sins? And to this I say, look to the cross and see that when he says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. That you could say, that you could see that his words are not empty because you see what he does to forgive our sins by offering his life as a payment for them. See, Jesus' words are not empty. He has authority over all things because he is our king. And he tends to and cares for our bodies and our souls and our hearts and 
Brothers and sisters, he is after your hearts this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we confess to you that we have been blinded by our desire to change our circumstances, that we forget to find our true hope in the fact that through your son, Jesus, that he has addressed our true need for our sins to be forgiven. And Lord, if we are questioning whether Jesus Christ has authority on us to forgive sins, would we look to his life, death, and resurrection and see how, see that the power he has over life and death? And would you capture our hearts? Would we be captivated by the gospel, by the beauty of our king who heals body and soul? Just transform our hearts. It's Christ's name that we pray. Amen.